0: Welcome back to the Kyle Style Podcast once again. So, this episode is going to be a little different, all right? I'm usually just creating all the content myself, maybe occasionally do some samples. Well, I came upon the uh, amazing Sam Harris Waking Up Podcast, and he has an episode called The Best Podcast Ever. It's a sarcastic title because he initially intended to not even release this podcast, okay? because he thought it just was boring and it was crazy so he was eventually forced to because the person he was interviewing a uh, writer for salon.com omer aziz uh basically made accusations about sam harris and what happened in the interview and what was said and so sam harris and uh, due to also to pressure from some of his own fans uh decided to release the podcast now What they were discussing in this interview was uh, a book that Sam Harris and Majid Nawaz had co-authored called uh, Islam and the Future of Tolerance. And this book has kind of garnered some controversy or some backlash, but uh, particularly from people like Omer Aziz and Salon.com, they... Uh, Omer wrote a piece for salon.com critiquing and uh you know sort of analyzing I guess uh, the the book that Sam Harris and Majid Nawaz wrote and it was in Sam Harris's terms very uncharitable and they it, it, to Sam Harris's view it's just completely off the mark their critique of his book uh Omer's view is this sort of complex more uh, sort of more complex or its seemingly complex uh, critique and analysis of what is ailing Islam and what is ailing the world in regards to Islam and all this sort of stuff. So what I've done here is break down the interview, uh, it t- it trimmed up a little bit from the original podcast that uh, Sam Harris had published uh, on his uh, blog and on SoundCloud. So I trimmed down so the intro, um, and this first hour and a half is you know it's their conversation with extra commentary by me and i wanted to kind of do that on the fly check uh, fact checking and kind of put things in context and perspective and again tried to be fair uh i don't i don't hate omer aziz i don't know really anything about him but in both cases they are both very sort of uh committed to their worldviews so they're both maybe gonna you know maybe misstep or misspeak right uh but i wanted to uh do a sort of play-by-play analysis and if you're a crazy weirdo like me and you listened to the original podcast which is three hours long uh and you enjoyed it uh then maybe you'll enjoy this because it's further uh, maybe a little side research and uh, commentary on a lengthy discussion. So do this maybe in about three parts, and here is part one.
1: And now, for better or worse, I give you Omar Aziz. I've got Omar Aziz on the line. Omer, thanks for coming on the podcast.
2: Thanks for having me, Sam.
1: I expect... This will be a difficult conversation and in fact I'm I'm pretty sure it's going to be difficult but uh hopefully it will also be useful. Uh but before we get into it please tell our listeners a little about yourself and and where you're from and and what you're doing now.
0: And here uh Omer proceeds to introduce himself and uh explain a little bit of his background. Uh you know th- it it he he is educated, is the thing. I mean, he's probably more educated than I am, at least. But you can, I don't know, just go ahead and listen. You'll see.
2: Sure. Um, well, first of all, thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to exploring our areas of disagreement and potentially of, uh, of agreement. Um,
0: it becomes clear pretty early on that uh, he doesn't really have any intention of the sort, but uh, we'll get to it.
2: So I'm a law student at Yale Law School. I focus on human rights and foreign policy. Um, First and foremost, I consider myself a writer. I studied in England and France and Canada and now the U.S., Um, born to a Muslim family that originally came from Pakistan. And I'm interested in all of these issues around religion, around human rights, around foreign policy, and in exploring fundamentally
1: the best way forward. So in a nutshell, that's what I'm about. Mm. So you're getting your JD now at Yale, right? That's right. So, what did you do your undergraduate in, and where did you do that? So, I
2: did my undergraduate in politics,
1: um, but really more so in books,
2: because um, I, I spent it more um, not going to class, of course. And I did it in Canada at Queens Queens University. I did my master's in international relations in um, in in Cambridge, but again, I didn't go to class. I spent my time traveling uh, throughout the Middle East, and I think that was really where my perceptions of Islam and the Muslim world changed a lot. I think before that, um, I was reacting, as many people who come out of religious families do, towards um, toward the religion and culture of their birth. And so I probably would have agreed with you more at that point. But then you know, I went to Iraq and Jordan, for example, and did some reporting and saw it for myself um, and then went and, and c- came to Yale to begin my JD.
1: Are you a practicing Muslim? You were born into a Muslim family and have been identified as a Muslim all your life or you, or you say you, you came to your – commitment to islam later in life yeah well i mean i come from an interesting family that i think is representative really um
2: in terms of one of my parents being very secular and very skeptical and one of my parents being very believing but not proselytizing Um,
0: i find it strange that he would call that typical i mean is that typical uh amongst any religious background never mind islam or middle eastern people I don't know about that. It seems like a stretch.
2: And so I was practicing at one point. I don't like that term now. I identify culturally as uh, as a Muslim and was within the community of Islam because it was part of my upbringing. You know, when Eid comes around once a year, I want to be with my family and want to want to celebrate. But I'm philosophically agnostic. And so you could say I might even agree with you on the question of whether God exists.
1: <laughs> right, right. Okay. Well, I'm talking to you now because of the book review you published in Salon. That's right. My favorite website.
0: If you can't tell, he's being sarcastic because Salon has sort of repeatedly slandered him and uh, profiteered in some sense off of his works and used it as uh, to make their own clickbait articles for their website, Salon.com, of which, of course, Omer is a writer for.
1: In which you wrote very critically and dismissively about the book I wrote with Majid Nawaz, Islam and the Future of Tolerance. And uh, so rather than just talk to you about the review in general, I'm going to have you read it out loud on the podcast so that we can discuss it point for point. Now, you've agreed to do this, but under some duress. You told me by email you think this is a terrible idea, but I yeah. I, I want our listeners to understand why I've structured the conversation this way. Now, first, y- you can say anything you want. I mean, I'm simply insisting that you also read every word of your review so that our listeners can hear it and I can respond to it, but you can make any caveats or supporting points you want, and we can talk about anything under the sun. I just want to deal with your review first and and pretty systematically, um, yeah. so there, so there's I mean, just to be clear, there's absolutely nothing about this that is closing down debate or conversation. I'm not going to edit anything you say unless you ask me to. but sure. um, um, so here is why I want to focus on the review. First, it's a very common experience for a person to read a review like this or, or even to write one. And to have no idea what the target of this kind of criticism could or would say in response. Because there's simply no good format in which to answer charges like this. And so as an experiment, I want to use my podcast for this, if only just this once. Uh, And in particular, I want our listeners to know what it's like. And I want you to know what it's like for me to read a review like this, actually almost in real time, sentence by sentence. Because it seems to me you can't possibly know how fully this essay of yours misfires from my point of view. I mean, you you took the time to write it. Mm -hmm. Presumably, you think your statements are clear and accurate and that you've built a very damning case against me and Majid, in particular me. But there's almost no single sentence here that survives scrutiny. And, And I want to demonstrate this for you
2: yeah and let me just make a quick point my my initial reservations to doing it in this format and i highlighted this when you said it's never been done before and my suggestion that it's never been done before is because this could descend into a kind of talmudic parsing of you know single sentences and words that won't be helpful at all now
0: if it comes down to being that pedantic i mean sure that might not be helpful but the, you know, time constraints and everything, you're probably going to be discussing ideas rather than semantics, okay? And if it devolves into semantics, then either side could just basically walk away at any time, because that's kind of the end of the argument, right? Okay, let's continue.
2: I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt and say that's that's not going to happen. Um, On the second point, I think in an earlier podcast, you said that I really hate you and or I hate Majid and I hate you even more. And I want to correct that I don't hate you and I don't hate Majid. I find some of your ideas to be repugnant, and I was resp- responding to those. I didn't call you a racist. I didn't call you a bigot at all. I didn't call you any names. I w- I'm merely contending and responding to the ideas that I read in your book. and so that was my my intention at
0: least as you'll see as we go on i think that he's responding to straw men right uh straw men caricatures of sam harris's arguments and his own out of his own kind of reactionary attitude and defensiveness about islam and maybe uh the western powers versus the middle east that kind of thing it's it's not always even-handed
1: right Okay, well, that, that's fine, and we'll and we'll get into what you said specifically and its sure. implications. And I and again, it's not going to be a rabbinical parsing of every word, but I just I do want to move through it systematically. And I, I, I want to also make clear that my goal isn't to embarrass you, and my goal really isn't even to debate ultimately. I'm, I'm just I'm trying to bridge the gap between your essay and the, the cynicism that it communicates to me, and a what I would consider a real conversation, but. I think doing this is going to take some real work because it's, you know, I think we're very far apart on the page. And I'm, I'm going to, you know, obviously, I'm going to cut you some slack because I understand that no one writes an article like this anticipating to then have to read it to its primary target. And I can only assume that even if you kept your opinions about me as they are, you would probably phrase a few of these points differently in the context of an actual conversation. So I, I think one thing to make clear up front is that your insults don't matter to me. I, I mean, I don't take anything you've written personally. But you shouldn't. The problem is I don't take anything you've written to heart at all because it, it's as though you're writing from a, another universe here. And this is what I find so troubling and this is why I want to have this conversation. So, that, I mean, the problem for me in general, just to step back before we get into the text here, is that I understand Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi,
0: the leader of ISIS
1: better than you understand me and Majid. And I and I can, I can actually say this with certainty because you are absolutely wrong about me and Majid. And, and I could ascribe beliefs to al-Baghdadi at random and do a better job than you've done here. I could throw the I Ching and come to a better understanding of his motives then you have come to an understanding of ours by reading and reviewing yeah. our book.
2: The, o- the only thing I want to say to that is, that I think I understand Big Daddy better than you and Maji understand Big Daddy because I actually factor in to account his political strategy and his geostrategic policy that he's had in Syria and in Iraq that's allowed Al Qaeda. In Iraq, the Islamic State in Iraq to go from being a ragtag group of rebels that was decimated in 2011 to be this very powerful militia in 2016, and that like the political factors, and I hope we get to them. Those are things that you and Majid don't discuss. I don't. I don't see you taking an interest in.
0: Okay, so either uh, ISIS is purely a political uh, action group that is armed and is seeking to create a, a nation, or they aren't trying to create an Islamic centered caliphate uh, and institute Sharia law. They're either a political organization or a religious one.
1: Okay, but, but that's a totally separate point. I mean, whether you understand Baghdadi better than I do, we can discuss. I'm saying that I understand him, this person who is practically infinitely distant from me on the moral and political and religious and intellectual spectrum, better than you understand me and Majid, and we have told you our motives for writing this book, right? So that that's what I find so strange here. Sam, I don't
2: care about your motives, though. I don't, like, for me, it's what the book says, no, no, right? No, and what no. you said
1: before. You describe, our, we're going to get into this, because one of the things I'm going to take issue with very early on in your review is your ascription of motives to us. But again, let me just step back for a second. You're a very smart person who is capable of writing about these issues honestly. I mean, in fact, I told you by email that you had a piece in The New Republic about jihadism, I think it's called mm-hmm. The Soul of a Jihadist, mm-hmm. that I totally agreed with, right? So so that's the mystery I want to attempt to resolve, that you could write an article on jihadism that I could recommend almost without reservation, mm-hmm. and yet you could review my dialogue with Majid so uncharitably mm-hmm. that I can honestly say, from my point of view, that you communicated nothing but your own confusion and prejudice. Okay, so so my goal here, again, just to be clear, is I want to bridge that gap essentially between your two articles. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I really think it's not going to be easy because from my point of view, almost no sentence in your review does what you think it does. That's where we're starting. And I think the only other thing I want to say before we before you start reading your review is that our listeners should know that I've sent you a version of it where I've marked a few I've marked many places where I think there's something for us to talk about. And I did this because given the the time lag on Skype. I didn't want to continually be talking over you as you began reading a new sentence or paragraph. So you have the complete text of your review marked by me, and you'll just read sections, and then we'll pause and then begin speaking about relevant points
2: yeah sure, and I hope that you know just just to respond to your previous point about my new Republic piece, which I still stand by, of course, there's a difference between examining the assumptions, the beliefs, and the motivations of an isolated extremist and then extrapolating that and saying that that is either representative of an authentic or legitimate form of Islam and my
0: this is the first but not the last essentially uh, no true Scotsman fallacy that Omer throws out. Uh, who cares whether anyone else thinks it's legitimate, they think it's legitimate and genuine and authentic, whatever that means.
2: My intention in writing this piece and in critiquing your views is that how do we actually get a reformation? How do we actually get cultural liberalism in the Middle East?
0: Get the power-hungry religious leaders uh, out of control over the minds of the population? And allow them to learn on their own and explore as they see fit. You know, freedom.
2: And I propose that your solutions and Majid's solutions, which focus on verses almost to the exclusion of politics, is the wrong way forward. So well, that,
1: that's what I'll say on that. Okay, well, let's go. Please start with the title. Sure. Um, the, so the title that the salon
2: editors put on this, which, and these are the only words in the entire piece that are not my own, is Sam Harris's Detestable Crusade. Um, and I think that I also want to have my original title, which I put, which they changed, of course. It, it was originally called The Poverty of the Intellectuals, Sam Harris, Majid Nawaz, and the Illusion of Tolerance. And look, I wouldn't use a, a phrase like detestable crusade because to me that's clickbait nonsense. And that's what all editors from Time Immemorial have done. And so you can, you know, you can rebut that and we probably agree that that's not a helpful title. But okay. I stand by my own in saying that the ideas in here, in this, in this tract, were very often impoverished. Yes.
1: Oh, okay. Well, that, well, that's very interesting. But so, please just read the full title and the subtitle, and then we'll we'll talk about it.
2: Yeah. Sure. Just give me a uh, here. So this, this, the full title was Sam Harris's Detestable Crusade. How his latest anti Islam tract reveals his, the bankruptcy of his ideas. And the subtitle was Harris's haughty ignorance and chauvinism are on full display in his new book, A Dialogue with a Former Radical by Omar Aziz.
0: Right. So there he basically admitted that it's a clickbaity and a provo- purely provocative title that uh, doesn't necessarily represent the work he actually did, you know, because it's salon.
1: Okay, so, so it's interesting to, as I expected, you didn't write this title and you're not actually happy with it. Which So now you are, I think, the third writer from Salon who I've communicated with. One of them is another Muslim who's just as critical of me as you are, who felt the need to apologize for the title that Salon put on their... No, no, no I, I don't want to apologize. I don't apologize because...
0: It's completely okay, although he already admitted that he didn't support the title that the editors put on it. It's completely legitimate to catch criticism from the subject of the article uh, you know, about the title. And you can admit to them and apologize for it without necessarily taking responsibility for it.
2: This is not my, these are not my words. They're no, not no, my I, article, but well, this happens with uh,
1: you've written before for for public uh, magazines as well, and you're well aware that editors choose the titles. I'm not saying you're apologizing for yourself, but it's not a title that you stand behind. Let me just point out, in case this blew by people too quickly, you know, as with almost every other salon article about me, there isn't even a pretense of journalistic objectivity here. I mean, there's there's clearly an editorial policy there. To make me look as bad as possible and here the reader is told just straight out told that my work is detestable my ideas are bankrupt that i am haughty ignorant and chauvinistic and i, and I pointed this out in my last interview with salon this this is the behavior of a tabloid i mean no real magazine or newspaper does this but in any case good. just just get into the article
2: yeah sure so let's start there are a few get-rich-quick schemes left in modern publishing But one that persists could be called Project Islamic Reformation. Writing a book that fits in this category is actually quite easy. First, label yourself a reformist. Never mind the congratulatory self-coronation the tag implies. It is necessary to segregate oneself from all the non-reformists out there.
0: All the non-reformists, like the people who just want to practice their religion, no matter how misguided or possibly unethical or otherwise immoral it might be, yeah, the the people who aren't you know progressive and aren't changing it
2: second make your agenda clear at the outset by criticizing what is ailing islam and muslims the quran is a good place to start because muslims especially in the middle east surely treat their holy book more like a military instruction manual than anything else
0: that is a condescending straw man and a backhanded like It's an offensive reduction of the criticisms people have of Islam. It's not just that there are jihadists and that there's violence. It's that their views are contrary to liberal democracies that have made progress as far as women's rights, etc., etc.
2: Third, propose a few solutions. Lest you be accused of nuance, the more vague and generic these are, the better.
0: How specific do you want them to be, to start naming specific passages from the Quran that need to be taken out, or specific teachers who need to be rescinded, or otherwise, like, defrocked? What are you talking about?
2: Fourth, soak up the inevitable inevitable publicity that awaits, and with it, your hard-earned cash. Voila, Sam.
0: Right, because you're going to reap immense rewards and fame from a book about Islam, like... Who's actually going to read that, foreign policy nerds or something? Can you name another famous book about reforming Islam?
1: Okay, so you actually believe that writing a short book like this about reforming Islam for Harvard University Press...
0: Knowing next to nothing about publishing, I had to look this up, so this is interesting. One of the only points on the Wikipedia page for Harvard University Press says that... A 2011 study of the books published by Harvard University Press during the 2000 to 2010 period and connected to political ideology found that, out of 494, only eight had an outlook that was conspicuously either classical liberal or conservative. So think about that. That means that most of their publications are uh, progressive, uh, left wing possibly socialist, whatever, Um, you know, they're not classically liberal or conservative, vast majority. So it's interesting that they would even publish Harris and Majid Nawaz and specifically publish something that is contrary to um,
1: Middle Eastern religion, specifically. Is an extremely lucrative thing to do. I mean, if, if you do, I need to educate you about the reality of publishing know e- e- even but even. I don't it, think it's lucrative. Even I, if m- it were, it's lucrative. It's easy though. It's it's simple. no, no. it's intellectual it, fast food, Sam. You describe this as a get rich quick scheme, okay? And it, so even if this were a great way to make money, which it isn't, you actually think that money would be our primary motive in writing a book like this? I'm not sure what your primary motive is. I know that if I were
2: to dish out a book about Islam and use the words "reformation" and "terrorist," I could get a book deal in about five seconds. In fact, I could write that kind of book in my sleep. It's not that diff- it's not that difficult to do. This is to me, this is intellectual fast food. And frankly, I think you guys could have done better. I mean,
0: okay, so write your own book, then make the money. But also, you could get a book deal, secure a publisher make a book the write a book about reforming islam that might actually aid the islamic world or aid i don't know maybe just be purely beneficial to the western world whatever uh if you can just get a book deal that quickly by using that title or that genre or that subject then go ahead and do it why is Sam Harris the focus of your criticism when they're trying to do it? Uh, Sam Harris and Mad Men like, why is that the problem?
1: It's a different point. You, okay, you, I understand you don't like the book and you think we could have written a better book. You're ascribing motives to us here, right? This is the first paragraph of your piece. You describe this as a get-rich-quick scheme. Now. I'm talking about your understanding of what Majid and I are up to. Now, I, I find your cynicism here fairly breathtaking. I mean, you, you think Majid's career as a reformer, okay, as a former Islamist who spent years in an Egyptian prison and who now seeks to deprogram Islamists and jihadists, incurring massive security concerns as a result and foregoing every other opportunity he might have, you actually think that this is a get-rich-quick scheme on his part? You think this is how he thinks he can make the most money? Look, I, I
2: tell you that there's there's been a litany of books that have been published very recently. They're not scholarly tracks that repeat the same slogans over and over again. They're short pamphlets. And yes, I mean, maybe it's not get rich quick, but it's get rich soon, at least. You build a platform on it. You uh, accumulate a mass following based on people who love the idea of saying, telling Muslims that they should reform by cutting out verses of their holy book, which no other religion has been expected or demanded to do.
0: Uh, yeah, because if Christians were literally stoning their non-virgin daughters to death on their wedding night, then th- we would have a problem, and we would be going back to the texts, and we would be asking them questions about why they're doing what they're doing, and w- we would arrive at some kind of conclusion, at which point we would demand for societal cohesion that they cease and desist. And yet, with Islam, it's not considered to be an issue or it's an issue of uh, ideology and it's an issue of uh, the jurisprudence, if you will, of the history of Islamic law and Sharia law. It's crazy. We would demand that they take a, razor to their works uh, their religious books and cut those pieces out if it was threatening the foundations of society
2: and yes I mean I don't think it's a serious serious intellectual exercise and again
1: again omer it's a different point we can talk about whether it's a serious intellectual exercise but
2: do you think it's difficult to call for a reform of islam in america today do you actually think it's difficult does it threaten your security absolutely we will get into this this is why one of the major parties of the democracy are calling for have been calling for this in very fascistic tones i don't think it's an intellectually brave thing to do i'm sorry
0: possibly criticizing Islam might not be a uh, socially or intellectually brave thing to do. It's kind of the topic of... Uh, of the of the, the topic du jour, if you will. But to... to say... to completely disregard their legitimate efforts. Sam Harris, uh, who knows about religions, and people like Majid Nawaz, who was an Islamist, and say that their efforts don't have merit or that their efforts aren't in earnest that they are not informed is is c- totally dishonest and quite frankly like it disregards what they are attempting to do
1: Omer we got to move through this systematically all right I'm talking about your description of motive you are making assumptions here which are flat wrong first of all there, there's Majid's case of being a reformer and, yeah. and all very the, little standing in Muslim communities. The, well,
0: it doesn't help to have other Muslims uh, denigrate what his efforts are and to disregard his efforts and even proclaim that he is not a legitimate Muslim, no true Scotsman again, or that his efforts are in vain. It doesn't help for you to do that. Right. And he is continuing, Omer is continuing to dodge the Ascription of Motives claim, which Sam Harris is putting on him.
1: The price he's paid for this, all right? So, you know, the fact, I mean, he lost a wife and son over this, all right? And you are describing him as an opportunist who's just out to make a buck, okay? Now... And I, I want to and I want to return to Affiliation with right wing organizations is probably why
2: I would do that. I, I mean, there's there are plenty of reformers working on the ground you're every single day. I've, I'm not filibustering. I'm explaining.
1: Let, to- I'm trying to get back to the first point you're jumping off of, right? Which is the description of motive. Now, speaking personally, I'm giving you information you don't actually have about me. All right. Speaking personally, right? The, the, the challenge for me is to make the work I do on this topic, the topic of Islam, remotely viable. And not to have the resulting damage done to my reputation by people like you not close the door to other opportunities. Viable to whom? Viable, Viable uh, to whom? To, to, get, to Muslims? To no, no, want no, 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 no. To even get paid for it. Okay. Or you, you describe this as a get-rich-quick scheme, right? But you realize that having people call you a racist and a bigot and a chauvinist and an Islamophobe isn't good for your career, right? Okay? I mean, you, you realize there's a cost to this. Do you realize that many people who agree with me on these issues just across the board won't touch this topic because they don't want to deal with the defamatory nonsense I deal with on a daily basis? Look, there are many white
2: non-Muslim authors that have written books about Islam. This is not about you in particular. And you don't have the kind of offensive language in here that you've said before in terms of we are at war with Islam or all kinds of, yes, chauvinistic viewpoints. But I mean, back to my earlier point, I think that doing something like this is not difficult. And yes, it does make one money. In fact, I've been offered to do it myself. I'm, and I'm not afraid of being called anything and I am critical of Islam. So, I mean, if, if you want to complain about having your feelings hurt, that's one thing. But let, let's have a, an actual discussion of the merits of what Reformation looks like.
0: Well, I can give you a hint about what Reformation looks like. Reformation is what happens when ideology and doctrine and religious texts butt headlong up against human nature and the desires of society. That's what reform looks like. All of a sudden, you start literally or figuratively cutting out pieces of the religious doctrine and the religious text in order to allow society to move forward in a functional way done
1: it has nothing to do with having my feelings hurt again i i have to linger on this point because you're so far from reality here and you're so satisfied that you're in touch with it so just listen to me for a second Again, I'm talking about me, my career as a best-selling writer and scientist. Right? You have you've made certain assumptions here, and they're Sam, totally you made your wrong. Sam, you
2: career by attacking religion, and that's totally fine. What were you doing before you wrote the End of Faith? Oh, Seriously, you were,
1: you were a PhD neuroscientist, right? You made a lot of here, money off of this. Here is a fact: focusing on Islam, right, to any degree, writing this book with Majid, having this comp, having you on my podcast now, okay alienates a significant percentage of my core audience. I mean, even the, the people who know I'm not a bigot, the people who see no more merit in defamatory salon articles than I do, right, don't want to hear me talk about Islam and Islamism because it's the most boring thing in the world. Now, I can tell you that there is almost no one in my core audience who wants me to spend any more time reiterating my concerns about Islam. And yet you seem to think that I am pandering to a huge audience for mercenary reasons. There's not a scintilla of truth to this charge. You just conjured it out of just an unfriendly act of imagination.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, look, if I look at your career and the things that you said before Sam Harris became waking up and meditation Sam Harris.
0: So in roughly 1986, Sam Harris traveled to India and studied with Hindu and Buddhist teachers. So... The meditation aspect of Sam Harris's perspective has been there since maybe before Omer was born. It's not a new occurrence that Omer is kind of trying to apply here.
2: It's all been attacks on on religion, and that's fair. But some of the things, of course, that you said about Islam before, which garnered a lot of controversy, rightly so. And I hope we can talk about that, your rhetoric. um, Those are things that you should expect to be uh, criticized for. And look, I don't want to talk about Islamism either. Either I've got a wide variety of interests and and creative pursuits that I'd rather be doing. So this is on me as well. And if your if your listeners are uh, are going to be alienated by an opposing point of view,
0: and this is the point where you you are almost like offended by Omer. You're like, look, I don't mind an opposing view. It's that what you're doing perpetually is. Not answering the question And not justifying your perspective It's it's pretty simple He should be able to uh, present evidence of some kind As to what Sam Harris and Majid Nawaz's motives were That's originally what we were talking about right? He still hasn't addressed how he somehow knows What Sam Harris and Majid Nawaz were intending to do with a book about reforming Islam. He's still just carrying forward the accusation of it being a get-rich-quick scheme as opposed to uh, at least facing in the moment Sam Harris's criticism of his view.
1: They're not going to be alienated by an opposing point of view. It's, it's your assumption that Majid and I, I mean, it's, it's especially agree, egregious with Majid, but I, I'm focusing on, on my part for the moment. It's your assumption that I am pandering to an audience that is hungry to hear me reiterate the problems with Islam and that this is a lucrative thing to do. What, what sort of advance do you think Majid and I got for this book? I mean, you've probably heard that bestselling authors get six-figure or seven-figure advances for books. What do you think we got here? I'm not sure. You okay. tell me. There was no advance, right?
2: Yeah, and now, how much – and can I ask you – I mean, I, look, I don't want to go into, into your finances. That's your personal business. But uh, but look, this is Islam and, and the future of tolerance. You weren't talking about reformation of Islam five years ago or four years ago. You were just talking about attacking Islam and
0: – Well, sure. Uh, you, you start off in opposition to, say, Islam or any position. And then you kind of work towards maybe some kind of a compromise like – possibly reforming Islam might remove some of the points of contention that are causing people to be completely anti-Islam, right? So there's a process, and maybe you move more towards more liberal values in the, I don't know, Middle Eastern world or in the Islamic world, and then we don't have this conflict anymore,
2: this was originally supposed well, to be a blog post, that, if, well, if, well, if that, I'm not mistaken, let me just make one quick point, this was originally supposed to be a blog post, and this reads like a long email exchange between two people, I can't believe I spent $20 on it or whatever the price was.
0: This is a very small point, but you apparently don't feel that ripped off, or you would remember how expensive it was, and exactly how uh, you know ripped off you were. You would remember that, and you would be talking about the price being ridiculous for the amount of content contained in the piece you paid for. Just a small thing.
2: But um, and Majid proposed that it be a book. And I think part of the reason for that, it's fair to assume, is that you would have made more money by publishing it as a book than you would have by publishing it freely on your blog. I paid people pay a premium to read something that should not be that, that should not have a premium price attached to it. This is my point here.
0: So in Omer's opinion it's not worth the money. However, uh, what is it? Harvard University Press did deem it worthy to publish and charge for it. So, uh, who's right? The you know the publisher or Omer? Just because it is contrary to his opinions, right? There is in some sense a market for this, and the publisher decided to go forward with it and set the pricing.
1: Okay. Well, no, that's not your point. A- a- again, you're, it's you're, one of my points. You're just you're not in touch with reality here. You're not in touch with the cost professionally, reputationally for touching this issue. You think that there are windfall profits for anyone who wants to say something negative about Islam. That's just simply not the case. So Let me just give you another example here.
0: And in the case of someone like Salman Rushdie, uh, you might have a fatwa on your head for, I don't know, what, 20 years or something for writing a book that is negative of Islam. Uh, How about Ayan Hirsi Ali, who was uh, teamed with Theo Van Gogh, the filmmaker? He was murdered, uh, and she's under death threats ever since. And, I mean, there are others. I'm sure Sam Harris, Richard Dawkins, Hitchens, I'm sure all these guys got death threats and whatnot. There are real security concerns related to their criticism of Islam.
1: When Ben Affleck called my comments about Islam racist on Bill Maher's show last year, okay, I was trying to launch a book about meditation and the nature of consciousness and a rational approach to spirituality. And that's a book that I actually had been paid a fair amount to write. okay. And there was literally not a moment for the rest of my book tour where I could talk about my book. Okay, instead, I had to deal with idiots who thought that Affleck made sense, right? And honestly, I've spent much of the last year doing that. Now, do you think, just consider this with fresh eyes for a moment, do you think that when you're trying to launch a book about spirituality and meditation and a scientific understanding of consciousness, do you think that having to endlessly beat back charges of racism and bigotry is a good thing for marketing that book? Is that a moneymaker? two points. The first is that there is a huge audience
2: in the United States for right-wing politics and right-wing views about Islam. This is not not new, right? I'm I'm sure that you are aware of this.
0: That's actually kind of ironic that it's what purely a right-wing endeavor to reform Islam. I mean, aside from people like Majid Nawaz, of course, Uh, but Muslims are the greatest victims of Islamic violence and terrorism. So... How is that just an American right-wing endeavor? It actually is the endeavor of peaceful Muslims around the world to push back against these thugs who use violence to push their agenda.
2: And you encounter it all the time in the media, and half of American democracy, at least one of the two major parties, has been caught up in this.
0: Okay, aside from him still not really addressing the point Sam is trying to make for the last uh, 40 minutes about the the intentions and everything. This is kind of a point in that the Republican Party, I'm assuming is what he's uh, alluding to there, have been in bed with the Christian evangelicals for a long time. And so there is at least concern amongst that constituency about that, which they would then address their political leaders about. And they can use it as a form of fear-mongering to drive voter opinion and gain support in their constituency. So he does kind of have a point in that.
2: The second point is that the reason why people were so critical of you and asking you all those questions is because on that appearance on Bill Maher's show... You called Islam the mother load of bad ideas. You threw out a number that at the time I think that this is where some of your critics were unfair, where they said you pulled it out of out of thin air, and I, I don't think you. I give you more credit than that. But you called Islam the mother load of bad ideas, and the guy next to you, Bill Maher, who I also really like, I think he's a funny comedian, and you know I love watching his show. But he compared Islam to the fucking mafia. That those are his words. Now, what do you? You expect people not to raise those questions when you're going around?
0: Okay so yeah bill maher compared it to the mafia because as commonly known or stated anyway is that the penalty for apostasy leaving islam is death okay and just looking up real quick i found a uh, islam q a website where uh someone asks this question and this muslim responds and it says uh If a Muslim apostatizes and meets the conditions of apostasy, i.e. he is of sound mind, so he's not crazy, he is an adult, and does that of his own free will, then his blood may be shed with impunity. He goes on to cite uh, Islamic scripture, which backs this up. Now, that is a tacit endorsement of physical punishment or death for apostasy and leaving Islam. It's not an exaggeration to compare it to the mafia.
1: The point I'm making is that there is a cost for this. This is not a self serving, opportunistic, profitable thing to do. And most people who agree with me won't go near this topic because of all the pain it causes them. There is no upside to it. Now, yes, there are a few right wing areas of publishing where a couple of people can sell books. Uh, pandering to what you might call I think more legitimately call a racist or xenophobic or or bigoted audience but that is not the market for Majid and me and I mean it's just it's incredible that you're 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 not seeing this okay so i I am someone who deals with many other topics whose audience wants him to deal with other topics at this point almost anything but Islam right I mean just picture this right I mean do you think that Anyone pays a lot of money to hear me come tell their students or employees that Islam is a terrible religion?
2: No, I mean, look, I don't, I'm not sure what your sources of income are and who, you're, who, who pays you and who doesn't pay you. But I'm certain that if tomorrow or in sometime in 2016 you were, you were to say expand the part of the end of faith dedicated to Islam and, and write out the most withering critique of Islam that you could possibly write— I'm sure that would sell very, very well, especially in the United States, especially in Europe, where people are getting very antsy about Islam. You, I mean, look, if you think that criticizing Islam and doing it when very heated rhetoric doesn't sell well, then honestly, dude, you're deluded, man. Like, it it sells extremely well. You, You get platforms, you can go on the media, you can
1: market your books, and you get more followers and more readers, and people want to hear that. You're wrong about this, okay? You're wrong about this. I, I have five New York Times bestsellers under my belt now okay? the first
2: one being the end of faith and okay. criticism of religion which yeah. started it all
0: i'm not even sure why he's bringing up that it was a criticism of religion that started it all i mean so if he hadn't written that book maybe he would have written the next ones and then those could have been just as successful i mean sure he's created a career for himself i don't understand how that somehow undermines his position he is critical of all religions because he's an outspoken atheist It doesn't seem to be a point
1: Yes. Okay. But there's much more to the book than that, and it is not focused on Islam. And it was the first book in a wave of, of, quote, new atheist books that started this publishing trend. You couldn't publish the same book today and hope to get lots of readers. And my book with Manjid was never expected to be a New York Times bestseller, hasn't been a New York Times bestseller, was not written because we thought this was a great angle to make a lot of money. It was written to communicate specific ideas, which I hope we will get into, and it was written as an example of a conversation that succeeded, right? Majid and I started out far apart when we first met, and we converged in a very happy collaboration.
0: And this point is is very true. Um, I remember seeing Majid Nawaz in an interview say that he almost uh wanted to physically attack Sam Harris at one point. They they were in a debate together about the nature of Islam and it being peaceful, and they were on opposing sides. And in that debate, I think you know Harris's side won, but uh you know they did start as you know kind of ideologically opposed. And it was actually very interesting that they were able to kind of team up on this. I wasn't expecting to see that because I thought that they probably just would perpetually dislike each other. It's kind of very big of them that they were able to put some of those differences aside and work on this project, which has apparently, you know, a good intention.
1: And we're putting it out there as an example of how a conversation on this topic could and we think should start. Now... The fact that you don't understand the reputational costs to this, the fact that you don't understand how much damage has been done to our public conversation on this topic by articles like the one you just wrote, right? And by periodicals like Salon that title them the way they title them is flabbergasting to me. And I'll draw the the picture even wider for you here because you, you really just, you do not understand the implications of this. I mean, do you think that when it comes time to get your kids into elementary school... OK, after handing in an application, right? Do, do you think that having to warn the director of admissions that a Google search on daddy might just turn up charges of racism and bigotry that aren't true, right? I didn't call you a bigot oh, okay. once so, again. Chauvinist is in the title of the article, right? Yeah. I, I'm just and saying that. The, uh, I, I uh, hope they would move past the title, okay, which okay. is what an informed reader is supposed to do. But you're, you're deliberate. Well, well, they don't. But f- <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's probably true.
1: First of all, that you're deliberately missing the point here. The, the reality is, is that to deal with this topic, okay, especially as a white guy, but even Majid doesn't escape charges of bigotry and even racism. Even Ayon Hersi Ali doesn't escape charges of bigotry Majid, and Majid, racism. I mean, Sam, but the, the reason that – okay, finish your point. Then the, I'll the, the, the point is that to broach this topic is to guarantee a whirlwind of – unjustified charges of bigotry, chauvinism, racism, xenophobia directed at you, and an endless trail of this online. And this is something that self-respecting public intellectuals, public intellectuals who value their time and their sanity, are avoiding at almost any cost. Okay, I know these people. They're my colleagues. And the fact that you not only don't see this, just see it as just pure upside. For anyone who wants to defame Islam, they're just going to get a book deal. They're going to get rich. They're going to get fetid in, in chauvinistic circles. And it's just going to be you know a gravy train of bigotry that they can ride for the end of their days. That is insanity.
2: There there are always costs to to entering the marketplace of ideas, regardless of what those ideas are. And there are, of course, benefits as well. And it's in my estimation, the benefits in this case of attacking Islam and attacking Muslims, there are greater than the cost. And there should be criticism and there should be withering criticism of people like yourself and of Ayan Hirsi Ali, who basically call for war against Islam. Uh,
0: Maybe because regardless of the causes. There has been aggression directed at Westerners and directed at uh, dissenting voices within the Islamic world itself.
2: Let's let's boil this down because you're not an impartial arbiter or peddler, peddler of sophisticated arguments. You have said some very chauvinistic things and you have rightly been criticized for them. Now, no one should be attacking you personally. No one should be threatening you. No one certainly should not be threatening your livelihood or your life. But people should have the right and the responsibility and I think the obligation to offer withering rebuttals to 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 that kind of rhetoric. When someone says that it is time we admitted that we are not at war with terrorism, we are at war with Islam, that deserves extreme scrutiny because it is an extreme statement.
0: Okay, if you recall how this quote-unquote war on terror began, it began with an Islamically motivated attack on America in 9-11. Okay? Uh, if the ira was bombing america or continuing to bomb the uk then yeah generally we're at war with terrorism but in this specific instance isis aren't just terrorists they're islamic terrorists they call themselves the islamic state okay
1: okay
2: Do do you disagree? Look, if if, if I came out, out, let let me reverse this quickly. Let me reverse this quickly, right? I think Israel has a right to exist, and I think that its occupation in the West Bank is illegal, and ultimately there's going to be a two-state solution. Now, as a brown-skinned Muslim-named person, I am aware that if I came out and said, you know, we are at war with Judaism or with the Jewish people or with Zionism, what do you think the response would
0: be? Yes, you should be required to qualify such a statement or a position, but Sam Harris kind of repeatedly has in various venues, and like the the thing is is that this still he's still sliding away from uh, actually addressing what Sam Harris has repeatedly referred to as like the ascription of motives uh he still hasn't uh expressed or explained how he knows that their intentions were. Purely capitalistic and greedy.
1: I, ju- I just don't understand. I don't understand how you're you're missing this point. Okay, so we can talk about all of that. All right. I am still stuck on this get rich quick scheme. This attribution of motive. This picture you have of. Everything, everything in the marketplace. Okay, how much place money did you is. make
2: off the book? How much money did you make off the book? I mean, s- s- since you claim that all, there's only okay. costs associated with targeting Islam. Okay, what's what's interesting?
1: Okay, so here, the, here's a nice question. How many right? Twitter followers have you gotten since? That, these are all things that accumulate on your platform. Okay. N- 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 nice question. So since we didn't get an advance for the book, right? Then it's all about royalties now. We should, it should just be. We I should be very concerned about book sales. How many times do you think I've checked with the publisher? To see how many books we've sold, I, I, I don't know, Sam. I don't you, know. If you, that's right. You don't know. Zero. Zero is is the number you're looking for there. So, so, so you it... made zero dollars off of this. No, I, I'm no. I'm it. sure we've sold some books. I have no yeah. idea how many we've so, sold. So this and was I, a blog I... post that
2: was that turned into a book. So oh, you fair. went from zero dollars to X.
0: Yes, because I mean there are there are Bigfoot, Sasquatch focused erotic fiction novels that are sold on amazon so yes anything you write and you are selling it someone buys even one copy you make money i mean that's the nature of publishing if they didn't think that it was going to make any money they probably wouldn't have published it that doesn't negate the intentions or the factualness of what their work was trying to do
2: That's greater than zero, right? So you've made money off of this.
1: And look, to me, that's a secondary point, but you want to focus on it. No, the point is your attribution of a sinister, mercenary, opportunistic, cynical motive to something that is a pure effort to have a publicly valuable conversation. That is what I'm focusing on. I mean, mean, Omer, honestly, your reluctance to concede this point, okay, your reluctance to concede that you actually had no information about publishing here or about our motives or about how much money we were going to make, that you were just saying something that sounded right to you that you wanted to believe is true, but now actually when I give al- you information. You have just
2: admitted that you made money off of this, number one. Number two, it was originally supposed to be a blog post.
0: I was unaware that you could basically just copy and paste something you were going to post on a blog uh, and send it to a publisher and they would Printed as a book, is that really how it works? I, I don't think that that's how it works.
2: And number three, you know, the, the new atheist books, the God delusion, God is not great, end of end of faith. Of course, as you mentioned, would not be published today. They've already been published.
0: That's a strange kind of tautology. I'm not sure what that means.
2: But would you deny that Project Islamic Reformation books on demanding reformation are not in vogue now? That articles calling for reformation don't go viral every two days? Would you deny this that no. there, there's a great market and a great readership and a great listenership for the, for this
1: these kinds yes. of ideas? Yes, yes. I, okay, I so it's I, okay. lucrative. No, no, no. I would no. I would deny it. It is the least lucrative and most costly thing I could be doing.
0: Okay, so actually, after searching for this, uh, like Islamic reform, there are many books which at least come up under that search, but many of them seem to just merely be critical of Islam and want to point out uh, things that are wrong in Islam and the Islamic world, not necessarily offering some kind of uh, an offering of a plan or a way forward or a way of interpreting Islam that is uh, conducive to the modern world, which is what it seems like Majid and Sam Harris were up to on this one.
1: Right. And I'm informing you about this. I, I don't expect you to know this. But what I'm saying is true, and your reluctance to step back at all from your get-rich-quick scheme claim says a lot about you, all right? I mean, this is—you're getting your JD at Yale, all right? I mean, what could you possibly hope to do as a lawyer if you're showing this little concern, not only for the truth— but for the perception of your commitment to the truth. Look,
2: my commitment to the truth is completely independent from and, and I think should not factor in financial profit of any kind. Right? I think it's a corrupting motive, number
0: one. I kind of want to let that one land for a second. So it's a corrupting motive to utilize a publisher and a distributor to help spread your ideas further than you could reach with say the internet alone like it doesn't make any sense I mean the profit motive is one of the fundamental linchpins of human endeavor to just work for free or write for free and people would assumingly read it because it's free it doesn't make any sense
2: and number 2 as an attorney and someone who is Jesus actually Christ. Omer, you're, someone you're, who is actually interested in in reforming many communities and inducing in cultural liberalism i want to work with these communities rather than which is apparently what majid wants to do and i here here here's something i'll tell you that this book is going to influence and change precisely
1: very few opinions in in the
2: muslim world again sir, you're
1: you're changing the subject omer i'm uh, the truth i'm talking about here is you made a claim about our motives that is demonstrably false. Okay, I've given you several reasons why you should... You ri- just admitted that you've made money off of it. We have sold some books. But, yes, from but a blog post. Originally, I thought we could do a blog post. It became such a substantial conversation, and we were. it was taking so much of our time, and we wanted to do it right, and we wanted to spend more time doing it, that it justified the further effort to make it a book, right? So then we wrote a book together. And it was a great collaboration that many, many people have found valuable. We haven't even gotten into the substance of of the book yet because I'm trying to get you to concede that the information that you thought you had about our motives and about the reality of publishing and about the lack of security concerns that people like Majid and I have, right, all of that. Was delusional, okay? And I've given you several reasons to recognize that your charge is false, and I can assure. The assur- point. The fourth L- point. Listen on- to me, Omer. I I, I can assure. I'm going to
2: quote you my own words. What I exactly said was: "Soak up the inevitable publicity that awaits, and with it, your hard-earned cash. You have received plenty of pub- publicity for this book, and you have already conceded that you have received cash for this book. So I'm not sure.
0: Okay, making money from the book is, in some sense, a metric of its effectiveness and its success. Now, it could be that it is purely pandering to that right-wing crowd like he claims, but the fans of Sam Harris are most likely not right-wing, so they would have an interest in the spiritual concepts of reform within Islam, right?
1: What, what your oh, quiver is. is. Is it with you, the facts? You, no, no. You describe it as a get-rich-quick scheme. I've heard you on another podcast confidently describe it as a get-rich-quick scheme. You describe- There's it, a lot of money to be made. You already said there's a big market for it. No, I did not. It is the worst possible market for me. And it comes with massive costs, security costs, It comes with reputational costs. It comes with the cost of having to try to take people's words out of your mouth. It comes with the cost of a conversation like this that many people could find excruciatingly boring.
0: Although I totally get his point, Uh, I find this whole conversation absolutely fascinating. And I think I've listened to this thing like three times because uh, maybe I'm just some kind of masochist, but watching the squirming, writhing, uh, argumentative aspect of it uh, is fascinating to me.
1: I mean, this is all bad news from my point of view, and yet I do it because I think it's an important topic to raise. And the reason why I'm having this conversation is not just to deal with the topic of Islam and Islamism and and our disagreements here, but I'm trying to have hard conversations like this because I find the inability of people to get through hard conversations and to converge, right? The inability of people to have their minds changed in real time the inability to for people to admit that they were wrong in real time that i think is actually the biggest social problem we have it's much bigger than the problem of islam or religion it just no, racism it, is the biggest social problem we have but maybe this is a close second i would seriously disagree with you there but
0: see i never really Thought of it in those terms before, but I mean, it's essentially what debate is, right? Is you're trying to change people's minds at the moment, and debate seems very confrontational and, and somewhat uh, aggressive. And the goal, though, is to get people to change their minds and be persuasive. Now, I would agree, actually, that yeah, people get entrenched, especially about maybe religious topics, uh, moral topics, things of like ethics, politics, uh, you know, government even economics, and they refuse to change their minds and they tend to just resort to more vitriol or more, uh, you, know, uh, you know, they resort to fallacies and ad hominems and uh, evasion and everything to just avoid having to really address what is being said and to uh, avoid the, the, the controversy or to avoid the conflict. And Omer implies that, or tries to slip in there, that racism is the biggest social problem. Well, how would you change a racist's mind? You would have to change a racist's mind by presenting information, having them rebut that, and then give them a rebuttal to their rebuttal, and then more information. And that's how you would eventually arrive at a racist changing their mind. So underlying all the social problems that we have, there is a foundation of a uh, commitment to an ideology that you don't want to change and that then perpetuates misconceptions and ignorance and uh, backwards thinking because people as i said they have a resistance to having their minds changed in real time at least about certain topics
1: the point is, is that two people have to be able to disagree and find some way of talking about that disagreement in a way that's productive. And even on this point, right, where I have all the information, right, where I know about the economics of publishing, where I know what I get paid and when I get paid and when I don't, when I know about the reputational costs and the security costs, and you know none of these things, you still won't back off an inch. <laughs>
2: Yeah, look, I've seen the books that have come out according to what I call Project Islamic Reformation, both yours and Majid's as well as Ayaan Hirsi Ali's. I I recognize that there is a market for it because I could very easily enter this market and make money off of this kind of project. And you've already admitted that you made money off of this.
0: Again, as if making money from your work is somehow inherently bad, right? He's taking the profit motive aspect of writing and publishing – and turning that into the sole intention of it, as though there is no other intention behind writing uh, other than to make money.
2: And so look, to me this is a secondary point, but if you cannot concede the fact or admit that there is money to be made and readers to be had by criticizing and denouncing Islam or calling for an Islamic reformation, then I don't think we live in the same world. I mean, it's so clearly... My
1: my point, Omer, is not that there's no money to be made. My point is that... This is the least good way for me to attempt to make money. And there, Majid could make much more money doing something else. Ayan Hersi Ali could make much more money doing something else. We'll, we'll get to those because later in your article, you make charges against them that I want to address. But here, we're, we're still on the first paragraph here, right? This is the problem, all right? I've given you several reasons to recognize that this charge, that we're involved in a get-rich-quick scheme is false. And I can assure you that our listeners will recognize it to be false. And your tenaciously holding to it past the point where its falsity is obvious to everyone makes you look like an asshole.
0: (laughs) I don't think you can get any more clear than that.
1: Yeah. Well, okay. look. I've already we've already established that there
2: is a market for this and a readership for this, and that it is it is a trend. You know what you should have done then, if you don't want to create a perception of trying to make money. If you and Majid don't go and do a scholarly, serious study of Islam and what needs to be done, rather than this, rather than a hundred and twenty-eight page pamphlet.
0: Although I get in some sense, what he means, like, you know, kind of actually go out to these communities and kind of be involved and, and learn from, learn what the teachings are from various, uh, I don't know, Islamic scholars or teachers. Th- what's being practiced in the world, though, is uh, is a matter of those practitioners thinking about what they are learning and what they're teaching and what they believe, it's not simply a matter of going and amending the Islamic you know doctrines. It's about people accepting certain changes in their own beliefs. And in some sense, the corollary here to me is uh, or analogy is asking Congress to accept term limits or campaign finance reform. You're asking the people at the top, to accept a change which may threaten their position at the top. So the truly, uh, the kind of uh, advantageous or convenient teachings that keep imams in power and keep Islamic scholars in, in a state of credibility, you're asking them to potentially alter their interpretations of those things, which may then compromise their position. So, it's a conflict of interest that I wouldn't say has a simple solution. And the solution isn't to appeal to these uh, sort of this hierarchy of people who are going to look out for their own self interests. Which okay. is what this,
2: what, what, well, what, and this creates the perception well, let, of let, a financial let, interest, which m- is just as bad as
1: having a financial no, interest. No, no, well, I'll tell you what.
0: Only amongst people who are incredibly cynical and paranoid about the nature of publishing, it doesn't make any sense.
1: I'll tell you about why the book is short. Why the book is short is because people love short books now. And the reason why there aren't more of them – and again, l- let me just educate you. And Please
2: do not speak to me in no, such domineering tones. No. Okay? I do not need to be educated. I'm Un- an educated individual. N-
0: <laughs> wow. Wow. Don't speak to me in such domineering tones. Uh, you're making him angry, for one, and you're you're kind of wrong. So he's, he's trying to be stern and solid about his approach to this. And, and don't speak to me in such domineering tones. Okay. Uh, I'm an educated person. I don't need to be educated. Okay. Uh, he's not saying educate you generally about everything. Okay. He's saying let me inform you about a specific venue or specific avenue specific area that you are uninformed about and you are just lashing out it's it's like a child it's like it's a very childish kind of response like there's no possible way that you have a, a lapse in your knowledge base there's no possible way that sam harris could possibly know something about this specific topic that you might benefit from it's just very it's kind of condescending and sort of uh, pearl clutching of his education his uh, you know degree or whatever is fascinating
1: This is something you can't possibly know because everything you say suggests you don't know it. So let me just tell you, how how many books have you published? Well, soon to be my first. Okay, well, let me tell you a, a dirty little secret about why there aren't more short books in publishing. Okay, There are not more short books in publishing because publishers can't figure out how to make a lot of money publishing short books. They want to publish a 300 or 400-page book and charge you $30 for it. This is the way the costs scale in publishing. And if you publish the 100-page version of a book that really doesn't have to be any longer because it's a very short argument and you would just be padding it to make it longer, and it's actually what people want to read because they can read it in a single sitting and they don't have to decide whether or not they can sacrifice that much time to the book. They can just sit down and read it publishing has not solved the problem of how to, to how to publish those books. And contrary to what you assume, this is a money-losing move from a publishing point of view. To publish a short book and sell it for $17 or $18 is much worse from a publishing point of view than selling a big $30 book. And that's why more people don't do it. And When Majid and I write a short book because we think it should be a short book that we want people to absorb in a single sitting, we are pushing against the merely mercenary, merely cynical, merely profit-seeking attitudes in publishing, contrary to what you assume.
0: That was very interesting. And I didn't really think about that in terms of short books and their accessibility and the quick readership that they provide.
2: Let me just ask you a question then. Do you think that, you know, writing a book about Islam, which encompasses quarter of the world's population, as you know, and over a billion people, as you also know, and the subjects of tolerance and the future, do you, think, do you not think that merits a deeper and longer study?
0: Well, let's see. Uh, Sam Harris's Letter to a Christian Nation was released in 2006. So that means he was probably studying and learning about these things before 2006. So we're roughly a decade in. A decade is a pretty good amount of time to spend studying almost any topic.
1: Uh, it merits a, a century of conversation, and Majid and I have, abs- have made absolutely no pretense to delivering the last word on this subject. We're trying to deliver a starting point, a novel starting point, which we did. But the price you pay for writing a comprehensive, scholarly, endlessly footnoted book is that you lose the people who can't invest that much time and energy into reading that book. And that's totally understandable. There, There's a place for both sorts of books. And we tried to write the book that you could hand to your friend who's been worried about this topic but hasn't spent any time thinking about it and say, listen, just take an hour and read this. okay?" And that was our goal, and it's a goal we've accomplished. But the, the problem is you are... That's not the
2: people you should be addressing. Are they? Okay. You want to address Muslims again? Not wait, the person uh, who doesn't know
1: anything about Islam.
2: It's is a separate topic.
1: All right, let's. let's no, it's the same
2: thing. We're no. talking about who's going to read your book and what's the project no. that you want to all, accomplish. No, all which I've is
1: reform. Been, all I've been talking about thus far is you're ascribing motives to us that are completely false. I and you a- conceded all the factual points about the market existing, about you making no. money off of it. Points. This is a stupid little trick that you have to stop using because it makes you look terrible, all right? To falsely summarize what someone has conceded is not only annoying, it is effective only with stupid audiences, right? It's going to get you fucking nowhere. So just listen to me. I didn't concede that Sam, point. Sam, don't speak to me in those tones.
0: <laughs> there it is again. Don't speak to me in those tones. Or what? Maybe you're going to end the interview? what? It's a ridiculous don't speak to me in those tones. You could say, no, you misunderstood what I said. Like, not don't speak to me in those tones. It's so asinine. And he still fails to grasp that he's missing the point of his accusation from his piece and Sam Harris's defense and critique of that by addressing the specifics of, you know, the ascription of motives, which he because uh, said over and over again
1: you're becoming an incredibly frustrating person to talk to and because you're wandering endlessly wandering off the point and you're pretending to be a mind reader I mean, everyone on the left these days is pretending to be a mind reader so you're in good company
0: and that's a pretty good point it's kind of an accusation uh, an indictment on the one hand there's a lot of finger pointing going on uh, politically kind of socially, both on the left and the right, I mean it just there's a lot of finger pointing about well you're a racist and you're a bigot and you're an Islamophobe and and it it's very prevalent in a lot of social media um but it's also prevalent pretty clearly in politics you know it's like well Trump wants to close the Mexican border that makes him a racist ah he's a racist well there's not really I mean. No, there's no more racism in him than there is in probably a lot of people. It's he's not like special case or anything. But to digress, um, th- there's a very uh, aggressive kind of uh, approach that a lot of I want to say younger people maybe, or a lot of like people in the in the online sphere, social media spheres, have where they really. A jump on a topic, or they pursue a person because they said something, maybe racially insensitive, maybe it was overtly, completely, intentionally racist. Either way, I mean, there's just this this constant finger pointing. But in anything more subtle than someone wearing a Nazi armband and throwing up a Sieg Heil, it all of a sudden becomes uh, microaggressions and all of these really subjective, weird little you know little points and little uh signals and symbols that people claim mean that you're a racist or that you're you know in sam harris's case that you're a violent islamophobe and there's almost no argument to oppose it there's almost nothing you can do or say to prove that you don't harbor irrationally uh, racial or xenophobic views uh, and then when in cases like sam harris you start to try to point out specific issues then it just devolves into you know something like a conversation like this one with Olmer but,
1: but on the right as well
2: on, on the right as well who thinks who think muslims are bloodlusting violent jihadists all of them
1: well, no. Even the, 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 the worst people on the right for, with whom I have no connection aren't saying that. But I'm certainly not saying that. No one is saying they're all jihadists and no one is saying they're all bloodlusting. Well, I mean, uh, you did uh,
2: say the Muslim world is utterly deranged by its religious tribalism, so that gets very close to it.
1: If you want to read all of that in context, then we can talk about what I actually said. Again, again,
2: religious ecstasy, sectarian hatred, and a triumphalist expectation of world conquest in a way other religions do not. Is that Islam or is that ISIS, or are they the same thing?
1: Again, you're, you're changing the subject. I hope to get into those subjects. I can only aspire to get into those subjects with you
0: okay so (laughs) i could only aspire to get there uh the 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 thing he's talking about here with uh in terms of everyone on the left claiming to be a mind reader this goes to some of the stuff that you're seeing about uh, uh microaggressions and all this other stuff and this is basically what he's you know saying that uh omer has done in his piece that he's uh somehow able to read Sam Harris's mind, know that Sam Harris is just a an Islamophobe and a warmonger, and not see anything else in what he said, just look right past that. Right past all the subtlety to Sam Harris wants to nuke Muslims. Or I guess Sam Harris is also racist, he wants to just nuke brown people. It's absolutely Shocking to watch people for uh reasons of identity politics essentially uh not discern just not not make the do not do the engage the critical faculties and discern arguments and view this in a rational way okay ironically again other Muslims are most often the victims of Islamic violence, so this is inherently should be an issue within the islamic community we only get involved as westerners and, and americans when our people are targeted we're outraged by it when we're targeted and yet it just kind of perpetuates itself within the islamic world and you don't see the same level of violence from catholics or even from jews You don't see it even from Hindus. You don't see it from Shinto. You you don't see it. It's not happening in the same uh, scale. And to get to the root of the cause is part of, I'm assuming, Sam Harris and Majin Was are both trying to get to the root of the cause that's making this happen. At the same time, we have to do things actions. We have to do things which will oppose it, and then this becomes a matter of foreign policy and government and all this other stuff and politics and everything. And Omer, as others of his kind of ilk, are doing the equivalent of uh, mentally and ideologically kind of dragging their feet. They're they're dragging this endeavor backwards by obfuscating and confusing and smokescreening this issue by making accusations, which comes back around to the uh, baseless description of motives uh, and the mind reading, which Sam (laughs) kind of calls him out for.
1: But you're digging in here. This should be the easiest point we discuss, right? The point where you really have no information and I have all the information, right? In terms of what it's like to publish on this topic. But you have dug okay, in so question, deeply a simple,
2: here. Okay, a simple question for you, Sam. Is there money to be made or is there not in publishing a criticism of Islam?
1: There, if you sell a single copy of your book on macrame, there is technically money to be made selling one book on macrame. Fine. That is a point that has absolutely no relevance to our conversation. The point I was making, and I'll continue to make as it comes up here, if Majin and I we're trying to get rich. If we were trying to make money in a way that was as painless as possible and as lucrative as possible, we would not be doing what we're doing. We would be doing anything but what we're doing. Making money in the intellectual sphere, in the publishing world, yes, it does does involve criticizing Islam. Or criticizing Islam it is does, one way to do it. It does not. But publishing on other topics does not involve these endless charges of bigotry and racism. It does not involve the security concerns. You reap when you deal with this topic. I could write books about Mormonism and never look over my shoulder, never worry about security concerns, never worry about being attacked as a racist or a bigot, and make the same points about religion in general. This is a unique problem to Islam. If I took all your
2: words that we replace Islam with Mormonism, I'm sure that you would get some very strong rebukes from the Mormon community. At
1: nothing analogous to what happens with, with Islam.
0: Yeah, I've known plenty of Mormons, and, you know, they just are Westerners, and they just don't have the same ire. They just don't have it in their mindset and in their uh, community to launch violence against people for uh, denigrating Mormonism or Joseph Smith or whatever. And, yeah, it is not analogous whatsoever, and you can criticize all kinds of other religions and not have to face the same kinds of threats that, say... The Charlie Hebdo cartoonists had to face.
1: But let's, let's continue. You, you, we, we literally yeah, just okay. went through one paragraph.
2: Yeah, okay, let's continue. So we are at... Uh, let me just turn the page here. The books. Okay, yes. The books that make up Project Islamic Reformation are not works of scholarship or even well-crafted popular texts. They are almost exclusively political pamphlets of a very personal nature that often begin as biography and end his self-help, except the self in this case includes a quarter of the world's people and the help may or may not come at the end of a missile. Ayan Hirsi Ali, who deserves empathy for her personal ordeals but not her conclusions, released such a book earlier this year with neat Manichaean categories delineating good and bad Muslims, as well as the expected checklist of proposed reforms. More tracks will sh- certainly follow because publishers love a good reformist, and the affluent Western audience that consumes these books loves having most of their pre-existing beliefs confirmed rather than challenged.
1: Okay, well... Let's talk oh, about this. Okay. Again, well, so, so why you, you pay lip service to Ayan deserving some sympathy. Okay, but no, you...
2: no, 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 no. It's not. It's not I, it's, I would no. never attack her personally. I think oh. that she went through a tremendous ordeal and that people who do attack her personally for what she went through or deny the, the uh, immense ordeals that she went through are, are lacking in moral empathy.
1: Okay. But you, you still cynically imply that her work as a critic of the, of the very ideology that produced this misery for her is purely opportunistic and driven by a desire to make money. I mean, you, you, you realize... I think you
2: you you hit the nail on the head perfectly there when you said that her, the ideology that that uh, put her through this ordeal. Because you and Ayan Hirsi Ali and other people, what you guys do is you, you do not uh, distinguish between a, a particular political ideology, which is fascistic and totalitarian and Wahhabist and Salafist and very violent, and the doctrine and religion of Islam.
0: Okay, so... He's making a claim that uh, Sam Harris and people like Ayaan Hersi Ali don't have subtlety, that they are sort of glossing over all of his Muslims as being violent jihadists. Uh, Bigots and far-right people might make that assertion. Uh, I think that people like Sam Harris are a little more nuanced than that. Uh, He almost had a point, though, in saying that, in sort of claiming that, that it's people like Sam Harris would lack subtlety. Now the thing is, is that if you are an atheist like Sam Harris is, like I don't know, I am, uh, like many of his fans are, yeah, you do kind of lump it all together. Although, if there was some militant branch of the Catholic Church that was going out and committing violence and yet you had Catholic neighbors who just go to church and then go work at the bakery, you know, the rest of the time, yeah, you would discern between the two. And the thing is, is that in some sense, the violent ideologies coming from Islam do claim to be backed up by the texts. ISIS does claim to be a sort of holy state, that they are backed by Quranic doctrine. And the, they then hold hostage all the other more reasonable people of the world now you cannot take from them that they feel or claim that they are backed by islam they are saying that that is so and that is what they believe but you can see that there's a power dynamic between those really motivated people to uh, that are motivated to commit violence in the name of jihad and and islam and the people who are their victims the people of, of that are living in the ISIS controlled areas just want to be left alone. They just want to live their lives, but they are being in, constantly intervened with by these, you know, ISIS maniacs. That that division between the what Sam Harris refers to as the like more serious Muslims or the people who take their faith seriously and not is a central part of a lot of his work. It's about motivating beliefs. Like, if you really aren't that motivated by your belief in Allah or Islam, then you're not going to be doing the maybe the good things in the book, but you're also not going to be doing the bad things in the Quran either. You're not going to be doing the things that promote violence. This is pretty simple, and it's it's sort of, it's another example, I think, of Omer being condescending to the knowledge and information that People like Sam Harris and maybe Majid Nawaz have, they actually have, and that they are on par or on parallel with Omer. Just because they're not Muslim and just because they aren't being overly politically correct does not mean that they don't grasp the, the granularity of the situation or the gravity of the situation and can't deal with this even handedly. Wow, that was a pretty good little aside and actually we're gonna stop uh we're at about an hour and 20 minutes there's a whole lot of information in there and again i want to try to break this thing up into maybe slightly more digestible pieces so uh we're gonna call it quits for here and uh for now and then we'll get back to a new episode uh here in the next few days maybe week uh i'm gonna be working at emerald city comic-con again this year so uh, it's gonna be a busy week so Kyle Style Podcast, uh, check out the GoFundMe, uh, throw me, hit me up on Twitter, uh, you know, let me know if you hate this, like this, uh, despise me, despise Sam Harris, despise Omer Aziz, just, you know, let me know what you think, and, I'll uh, see you on the next one.